Many New Zealanders are now facing the reality of a flood-damaged property. Others are wondering about the likelihood of their property flooding in the future. So how do we prepare for future extreme weather events and build resilience? Alex Cartwright is the Flood Risk and Emergency Management Advisor at Tonkin and Taylor. He's with us tonight to talk about how we can build back better and what this means at the property, community and national level. Kia ora, Alex. Kia ora, Todd. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Flood risk and emergency management, pretty niche. So how did you get into this? Um, I've always had a passion for, for supporting communities and I used to volunteer and work with an ambulance service while at university. Um, and then actually the community that my parents lived within flooded um, and helping during that response and recovery efforts realised that uh, there was an opportunity here to combine studies and um, that passion for helping in the communities to, to understand flood risk uh, and try and help reduce it for, for communities. It's quite a focus. That's great. Recent events have shown us the power of the weather. So what do our listeners need to be thinking about? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and what's really important for everyone um, is to know their flood risk. So for some people, these recent events, they've discovered they live within an area that floods. Um, for others, they haven't experienced flooding, but it doesn't mean um, you don't live within an area that could potentially flood in the future. So um, accessing council websites um, and contacting your council to understand your flood risk where you live and where you work is really important. And then once you understand that, um, there's a next step, which is understanding what to do before, during and after a flood event. And civil defence groups have a lot of really good advice in that space that you can access through uh, websites as well. But the key piece is really for step one, understand where you live and what your potential flood risk is. That's great advice, Alex. We hear a lot about risk and resilience. And what do these words mean? So when we talk around um, risk and resilience, um, we can think about what they mean academically um, and what they mean to um, everyday people like you and I, Todd. So um, when we talk around risk, um, it can be defined in lots of different ways. And the academic definition talks about risk being both positive and negative. But if we were to go to our um, favorite internet site and, and um, look up the word risk, you'd discover that the term is defined as something bad happening. Um, and that is a really simple way to think about risk. It's the possibility of something bad happening. When we then think about resilience, um, this can be described as a way for something to anticipate, um, absorb, adapt to, and or recover quickly um, from a potential disruptive event. So that's when we start to think around when an event happens, um, how can we be best prepared for it and to recover um, quickest from it? And that's resilience. Mm, something bad happening, yes. After you know, natural hazard events, we often hear people talking about build back better. But what does that mean in reality? So I think the important part with that question is to first think around where we've built in the past. And we're seeing um, great examples recently um, that perhaps where we've built in the past hasn't stood the test of time. And what we've got to do now is make those hard decisions around um, considering where we're building 
next and thinking around the differing options instead of just replacing um, the house that's flooded with exactly the same house in the same place we've got the opportunity to think about differing options um, to try and reduce that risk or increase the resilience um, for a for a property for a community that um, may have experienced a natural hazard event such in recent times as um, flooding the term build back better um, has been coined by the insurance industry we see it as a as a formal scheme in the uk um, where it looks to really touch on um, not just replacing like for like so at the individual home um, if you experience a flood and we've seen in the news recently where houses have been gutted the idea is to think before um, you replace say your carpets with a, a new carpet and to think are there ways that actually if that property was to flood again um, could there be um, mechanisms or could there be different things you could install even something simple like tiles that are easier to clean if it was to flood again compared to a carpet. And just that small change can be seen as that building back better. And then we can expand that out into communities. And when we're starting to plan our communities, those decisions we make after an event to better protect um, people into the future. Mm. There's something called the PARA framework, P-A-R-A. What does that stand for? Yeah, uh, a great question, a really important um term so when we look at um, flood risk and, and natural hazard optioneering so we're thinking around what can be done um, differently and what can be done into the future frameworks really help us with that and so para is just an acronym that stands for protect accommodate retreat and avoid and it's really important when we're thinking around um, a flooded community we're thinking around those differing options we've heard a lot about managed retreat um, managed retreat isn't something that can happen overnight and so when we think perhaps that we're looking at a community and that community may be making decisions around whether managed retreat um, is the best option we may still need to be um, accommodating that flood risk that exists already so thinking about how can we make those changes that i mentioned and um, perhaps to um, your property or into a community that allows floodwaters um, to be in place in a community but perhaps in uh, channeled in different ways to help accommodate um, and reduce that risk. And the same goes for that term protect. Um, we often would think about hard engineered flood defenses, the stop banks that we see along a lot of our water courses. They're a mechanism to protect um, communities from, from flooding, um, but they also come with uh, what we call residual risk. So uh, they can be overtopped, they can fail, so they don't create a fully safe community and we have to keep that in mind um, and appreciate it. We've gone in a, in a weird and wonderful order but the the last one avoid um, is actually one of the most important ones and actually we want to be looking at avoiding um, risk where we can so not continuing to build in areas of flood risk uh, is a really good way that we can start to avoid um, creating more people being exposed to flooding and other natural hazards. Mm. So what does this really mean for the individual homeowner? A lot of people are saying people are underinsured, for example. That's probably a fair comment at the moment. Yeah, so um, your question around what this means for an individual homeowner, um, as we mentioned earlier, understanding your flood risk is a, is a key first step. If you do live in an area that's identified to flood or you have um, maybe experienced flooding, there are lots of tools and, and knowledge already out there from um, 
across New Zealand and actually overseas as well. And there's um, something called property flood resilience, which is looking at houses and properties and saying how, um, as we talked around earlier around that build back better, how can we think about reconfiguring these properties um, to reduce that risk of flooding? So we see um, systems and options. So instead of having a normal door on your front door, you can get doors or barriers that act to keep water out and this is part of this property flood resilience ways to protect your house from water coming into it and um, the resilience part like we spoke about earlier is when we think around if water was to come inside a property how could you recover from that in the quickest possible way so we see um, perhaps kitchens designed with marine timber some slightly more expensive approaches for a homeowner but looking to raise electrics higher up so that um they don't have electrical faults if there is that flood waters that comes into it. And these measures, um, this property flood resilience, is really about those existing communities that live within areas um, that flood already. Um, those houses that have already been built in areas that experience flooding. And it's a way to help uh, reduce risk or increase resilience. Um, they're measures that we would hope not to see on, on new houses because those new houses would hopefully be being built outside of areas at risk of flooding. I'm sort of thinking a lot of, for example, Australian and American homes are built on stilts, for example. Now, that might be a little hard to fathom to build properties that are one story above where they should be, and you also need to take into account the accessibility of them too, don't you? It's all sort of a jumbled web. Yeah, I think you really touched on there when you talked around accessibility. So there are ways that we can raise properties up above um, a design flood level. And so we're we're lifting those properties up um, or perhaps we see um, overseas often where we have two, three-story properties where the, the ground floor is used for non-habitable space. So storage, um, car parking and things like that. So there are ways to reduce the damage should a flood come through. But the problem is we end up uh, potentially creating artificial islands where people are trapped in their houses, um, and that could be for hours, um, or it could be for days, depending on um, the scale of the flood and where those flood waters are coming from. And so while that is an option, it's one that really needs to be considered, and um, we undertake flood risk assessments to understand the different options. Um, and yes, raising houses up on stilts could be one option. Um, but if you're looking to, to move a house upwards, you may be able to also look to move a house um, inland or away um, from that flood risk altogether rather than creating perhaps um, a community that's higher but is still stranded um, during a flood event. So what's needed to create a more resilient New Zealand, there's a few interesting points, bullet points, really, aren't there? Yes. So um, ultimately, we've got some decisions that need to be made. Um, and flood risk um, is associated very closely to climate change. And climate change brings with it an uncertain future. So we've got decisions that need to be made based on uncertainty. And for that to happen, um, in my view, there's two critical skills Um expertise and leadership. So we look to planners, engineers, scientists to help understand and quantify um, the problem or to quantify risk. And they're critical in helping to ensure effective optioneering, understanding what can be done 
um, that will stand the test of time so that we're developing in, in sensible and effective ways. But the other side of that coin is leadership um, and our communities need to be empowered to act. Um, and this comes through effective leadership. And we've seen a lot of that um, recently with with leaders who can focus in on that emotional intelligence, that EQ. They're able to connect with people to help them understand what the consequences um, of flooding and wider natural hazards can be. Um, and it gets us away from talking around um, whether this has occurred this year and so won't happen next year. We actually start to reflect um, on the consequences of what does happen when floods do occur. And so that combination of expertise uh, and leadership is critical, um, especially given the difficult decisions that need to be had, such as manage retreat um, and other topics. Um, if we don't have expertise and leadership working together, we're going to end up with the same issues that we're seeing without that really important step of learning um, from the past to help us be better in the future. Can't continue this way, can we? We've got to change. I think that's a, a really important point that um, there is a lot of change occurring and we can always be improving. And um, understanding your flood risk as an individual is really important. But then there's lots of work that can be done at the strategic level where we start to actually plan our communities and um, think about the way that we are planning and developing space differently. Um, and that's a really, really important part that involves all of our um, specialists, uh, those planners, engineers, scientists, those leaders who are helping make decisions, but each and every one of us as well. So what about funding? Can Aotearoa afford these continued events? Um, that's a really tricky question, um, Todd, to talk around financing, and it's one that our leaders are facing at the moment. Their ultimate question is, is who and, and how do we pay? Um, for me, uh, the key is to reassess our thinking, and we can look to examples um, elsewhere. We can look to differing mechanisms overseas, how they've applied um, models to look at funding for flood events. In New Zealand, our, our funding process is generally um, localised based on our, our councils that we belong with, and then there's access to, to national funding as well. And understanding how um, that payment process for disasters happens is a really, really important one. And we're going to need to see um, collaboration and understanding because climate change, flood risk, um, it's a transboundary problem. Climate change doesn't stop at boundaries that, that we have created. Um, and so we need to be able to understand how we can share resources um, and operate where we can spend money as a nation and get a larger benefit um, on that spend of money. So the first step is is finding a way to to measure the benefits that we get um, from spending on such things as as flood protection and other flood optioneering. It's an investment too, isn't it? We've got to invest in resilience. Exactly. Um, there's two mindsets that we can see this in when we. When we're spending money, we can see it as a cost or we can see it as, as an investment. And coming back to that terminology around build back better, that's where we're starting to say that if we're going to be investing, whether we're um, a homeowner thinking about replacing that carpet or whether um, we're a, a large organization, a risk management agency that, that is making decisions around communities as a whole, those decisions need to think around investing in the future. So instead of spending um, to replace, 
we're spending to improve. And that really is true investment in resilience. Mm. And how can we learn from recent events, Alex? I think one of the first steps um, for us all as individuals um, is to not dismiss the plausible. It can be quite commonplace, and we've seen terminology used um, since these recent events that have occurred here in New Zealand around unprecedented biblical once in a lifetime. But actually, we've just witnessed something that's occurred. And so this is the best time for us to know what could happen. And being able to understand those consequences rather than that human tendency to dismiss the event and try and move forwards helps us really learn um, from these events as well. We've got that key fact right now, what a plausible event looks like. So keeping that in mind, we can then start to think around how we can best prepare into the future. What did work this time around? What didn't work? And we look to improve what didn't work. And we look to keep what did work. The other important factor is that um, we have standards that we design to. And those standards can be exceeded. And if that's the case where we see these large-scale events that are much larger than um, we have prepared or designed our communities for, moving forward, we need to think around um, those exceedance events and how we can design um, our communities with a safe failure mechanism. And that means that when we talk around water and it may be going into a pipe, a drain outside your house, what happens to that water when it can't get into the drain anymore? And we can look um, to differing mechanisms. We've heard these terms, sponge cities, um, also water-sensitive urban design, sustainable drainage, where we start to actually look at storing water where it falls, trying to slow that water down. 10, 20 years ago, um, the aim was to get water from A to B as quickly as possible. Whereas now the understanding is really about trying to slow that water down and keep it as close to the source that it falls in as possible. And that's where we see these large storage basins that are built with communities used most of the year um, for communities to play sport in them. But actually, when we've got these heavy rainfall events, that's where water can drain to. Um, and that's that planning for that exceedance and trying to capture these um, increasingly large events within um, the communities that we're living within. And final question, what can our listeners do to create more action? I think a key thing for us all as individuals is to recognise that there are tough decisions to come and that we need to go into those discussions around these tough decisions with an open mind. If we open our minds to the problem, um, we can all be part of the solution. We can all hear the differing viewpoints and we can have a considered outcome. So these tough decisions may range from where people live in the future, that topic of managed retreat, who pays for the change, who pays for resilience. They're really, really tough decisions, and we all probably have our own bias towards it. So um, the challenge I would set for anyone is, is to go in with that open mind because it's a community problem, um, and we have to work together to find solutions for our communities. Alex, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Alex Cartwright, the Flood Risk and Emergency Management Advisor at Tonkin and Taylor, talking about how we can build back better and what it all means. I hope you got something out of that. Thank you very much.